Good. Uh, if you could turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. And as you're turning there, I'd like to give honor to Pastor and Sister Linda for allowing me to speak tonight. It's uh, an honor and a privilege, and I thank them for trusting me. And this is Elisha speaking. It says, but now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beast. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. Then going back to verse 18 in the NKJV, it says, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord, he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. So I want to take a couple moments on this Valentine's Day to speak on the subject of, do you know who loves you? Do you know who loves you? As we put our Bibles down, let's ask God to be with us tonight. God, I thank you, O Lord, for your love. God, I thank you, Jesus, that despite any situation, oh God, I can trust in the fact that you loved me, knowing the mistakes I would make, knowing who I am and my shortcomings, God, you still died for me, God, that you still loved me enough, Jesus, to allow me to feel your presence, to allow me, Jesus, oh Lord, to enter into your house. I'm not worthy, but God, you love me anyways, oh Lord. Help us tonight, Jesus, let your anointed word, Jesus, change us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, you may be seated. Good old Valentine's Day. That day where we shower our significant others with the representation of our love and affection, with the physical manifestation of gifts, flowers. And if you're married, well, I'll keep it moving. That's a marriage matter subject. However, on a day where the amount of love in the air can't get any higher, and as Hallmark cards profit margins soar to the same heights, we would be remiss not to look at the characteristics of the greatest love we've ever known. It's a love that defies logic. It's a love that is unconditional. It is a love that exudes characteristics such as compassion, grace, and mercy for every man and woman on the planet. A love that died for you to save you, knowing every mistake and misstep that you would make. A love that we at times sometimes struggle to accept. A love that sometimes we ourselves have underrated or heard so much about the love of God that we don't fully grasp or appreciate the true weight of it. How many are thankful for the love of God? But continuing down this path uh, to love someone, you have to know them. 
That's the amazing part of God's love. He was able to love you from the very start because he knows every single thing about you, beginning to end. The construct of time is irrelevant to our God. And so before you were born, he knew who you were and loved and died for you anyways, flaws and all. So we know God loves us, but do we truly know him enough to say that we love him? Do we know God well enough to trust him in our trials and tribulations? Do we know God well enough to put our faith into what he said? Do we love him enough not to only listen to what he said, but to also do what he said and trust that it's going to come to pass? In John 6, we've all heard it and seen the miracle where Jesus fed over 5,000 people. These people were gathering to hear Jesus after developing interest in the miracles Jesus had already performed. They had developed, you could say, a hunger or a curiosity. And while he spake, which may be happening to some of you right now who didn't eat before service, they also developed a literal physical hunger. And we've all heard the story of the five loaves and two fishes and just a sack lunch, probably colored pictures of it as a child in Sunday school, but... As I've gotten older, my focus kind of turned towards the disciples, not to knock them, but just how real and human of a response that they had. Going from John 6, verses 5 through 9 in the NKJV, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? First, we look at Philip's response, trying to come up with a solution on his own that was absent of the miracle-working Jesus he had just seen perform miracles. In studying, I found out that 200 denarii is worth roughly the equivalent of two-thirds of someone's average yearly salary in that time. Turn to someone and say, that's a whole lot of bread. (laughs) So imagine, he's already telling Jesus that Two-thirds of someone's salary. Just think about, in terms of your own life, how much money that would be. And he doesn't have 200 denarii worth of bread at his hands. He has five loaves and two fishes. Showing that God can do so much more with a little than we can do with so much. Then we take a look at Andrew, whose response focuses on the size of the problem and the size of what he has to offer. And to be honest, that is the response that I would probably have given, looking at the magnitude of the situation. My boss used to tell me all the time, and it's something I've gotten way better at, um, don't just bring me a problem. Anyone can do that. I need a solution. (laughs) But no, uh, there are plenty of times where I was like Andrew, where, look, these are the facts. This is what we have, and I have no idea how this is going to happen. 
And yes, we've heard this story, but it sounds extremely familiar if we replace a couple of things. For us, it may not be five loaves and a couple of fishes, but what we don't realize is a lot of the time what we classify as managing our expectations or stating facts about a situation really is a lack of confidence, maybe even fear. One would even say even downplaying what God is truly capable of doing. God, my bills are tight. And if I put this in the offering plate, I don't know how that bill is going to get paid. God, I know you're a healer, but the doctor's report said this, and this runs in my family. And my answer to all those statements is, do you not know who loves you? Jesus's perspective in this story is amazing because God didn't blink in this situation. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse five and six, you want to talk about calling your shot before it even makes it into the basket. Jesus asked Philip that question already knowing what he was about to do. Jesus already knew there was no fear, there was no doubt. And we have to get to a place where we have that same confidence in the God who loves us. Either he's Jehovah Jireh or he's not. Either he's a way maker or he's not. Either he's a prayer answering God or he's not. And why do we worry unless we truly forget or don't know who he is? Continue breaking down this miracle. We then have Jesus thanking God for the five loaves and two fishes brought by the lad. I think there are three important takeaways that are important from this. One, Jesus worked with what he was given. One thing you should know about the God who loves you, you are enough. Whatever you have is enough when it's in the hands of Jesus. What he can do with a little is a lot more than what you can do with a lot. We see this with Elisha and the widow in 2 Kings chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband, is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slave and Elisha said to her what shall I do for you tell me what do you have in the house he didn't ask her for anything else but for what she already had she said your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil a takeaway I have from this is God will accept your accept I have nothing except a jar of oil. I have nothing except a praise in advance. Whatever you have, whatever you can give him, he will do the rest. The second takeaway that I took from Jesus's response and perspective in this story is that he thanks God for what he already received, for what he had, not for the miracle, not praying for what he needs, but just for what had already been provided, I'm thankful. The third thing that I took from this was that everyone who was in the multitude was blessed and received. The meager lunch that Jesus multiplied was not just for his inner circle. It was not just for his closest friends. It was everyone who showed up received a blessing, showing if you have a need, 
If you're in the presence of the God that loves you, something amazing can happen. You don't have to know Jesus for a long time to draw into his presence. Just making yourself available and good things will always happen. We see this miracle and we rejoice, but there's a flip side to do you know who loves you? And that flips a little bit from the sermon title to do you know who loves you to do I love him and unconditionally? The crowd of people after the miracle was performed, it said that they were ready to crown him as a king. But what, just what if he hadn't performed the miracle? Would they have worshiped if their need hadn't been met? What if Jesus had chose just to teach a Bible study, but didn't multiply the loaves and the fish? Are we ourselves even if believers? What is that you ask? And even if believer is a person, if he never blesses me again, yet I will trust him. Even if the prayer isn't answered yet, I'm going to still worship him for who he is. Even if the miracle doesn't happen, I will still love him and praise him. Even if the bill is late, even if I don't get the promotion, because I know who loves me, my answer is simple. He's done too much. He's been too good. There are too many things to thank God for. And I will praise and love him for who he is, not because of what he can do for me. The scary part is if our devotion and our love for God is based on the miracles we request, he's not Lord. He's not the God that we claim him to be over our lives. If he truly is Lord, over our lives. His yes means yes, but his no also means no. His not yet also means not yet. And we have to accept the sovereignty of God. Moving to 2 Kings chapter 3, I'm going to summarize a little bit. Uh, I won't have them pull up the scriptures for you all. But we have King Moab was forced to at the time to give the king of Israel, 100,000 lambs and another 100,000 rams. And when Ahab died, the king of Moab had rebelled against the king of Israel. So the king at the time, Joram, set out from Samaria and prepared Israel for war. His first move was to send a message to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. and basically said, would you want to join me in fighting him? The king of Judah joined him and he said, my troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. And they took a route through the badlands of Edom. So then carrying on in this, the king of Israel, the king of Judah and the king of Edom started out on what proved to be a looping detour. And after seven days, they had run out of water for both the army and animals and also themselves. And the king of Israel essentially said, that this was bad news and that God had gotten them and dumped them into the hand of the Moab, which is ironic because God had nothing to do with their choice or decision to do any of that. But we do that ourselves. I know I'm like that sometimes where we'll blame God for our own choices and decisions. That's another sermon. <laughs> but Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of God anywhere around through whom we can consult 
God. And thankfully, someone decided that maybe it would be a wise idea to check in with the man of God. One of the servants of the king said that Elisha was around the area, and so they decided to go meet up with him. Going back to our main scripture test, he asked for a minstrel or a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. I think it's awesome that in the midst of their valley, the prophet called for a minister and worshiped and got into the presence of God. And that's where he got an answer from the Lord. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall still be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink. What's amazing about this is think about the situation. Sometimes we read the Bible and we kind of forget, like if we were to actually be in the situation, how you would actually feel, right? Sometimes we read it as a, just a story. But if you put yourself in that situation, they had been traveling for seven days. They were exhausted, likely dehydrated, out of water completely. And yet the man of God tells them to go dig ditches. Not only does he tell them to dig ditches, he tells them you're not even going to see the rain coming. You're not going to hear the wind coming. So talk about the faith that you have to have in the God that loves you to know that it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter if you can't see it because the God who loves you and has compassion for you knows what's going to happen. We have to remember that God is God and he knows your story, but most importantly, he knows your ending. We hear of Joseph in the pit after his dream. It did not block what God had in store for Joseph. God knew where he was going to take him. Verse 18 in the NKJV for 2 Kings chapter 3 says, And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. The amazing thing about this is this complex problem, that situation that you're facing God says it's a simple matter. For him, it's easy. It's not difficult. He's not anxious. He's not nervous. He's not out of power. It's a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. Continuing on in verse 19, it says, Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. What we look at as hard is so easy for God. And it is simple for the God who loves you because he's bigger than any problem or any situation. But God is so good that this story ends with a testimony of also. Because the only thing they were asking for was water. The only thing they were asking for was just the provision of water, but that's not what God did. He said, it's a simple matter, but he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. They weren't even praying about the war. They weren't even praying about their biggest problem. They just needed water. 
And your God that loves you is so good that he's willing not only to take care of the need of today, but he's promising you the victory for tomorrow and for the victory you need next week. We just have to trust that he loves us enough to do it. God just didn't take what they asked, but bless them beyond it. Don't lose your faith in the destination because the difficulty of the journey you're currently in. We can't forget who he is. We don't forget his promises, his character, his faithfulness. The valley will always come to an end. I've heard someone put it this way. There is more growth and vegetation and life in the valley than there is on the mountaintop. For anyone that's here going through a season in the valley tonight, and I'm here to tell you to keep fighting, to keep praising, to keep worshiping, to keep believing, because you have to know he loves you enough. He would never leave you there. I've said it a couple of times throughout that God knows beginning and the ending. And again, like I said, these are things that we hear all the time, but sometimes we don't really put it into practice. And so I was thinking about David. David that was anointed and fought Goliath. But if we break it down into knowing the God who loves you, knows everything about you before it even happens. That means when God anointed David, God knew that David would see Bathsheba and still anointed him anyway. God knew every mistake and misstep that David would make and he anointed him anyways. We're not worthy, but he loves us anyway. There's nothing you could do to gain it, but he did it anyways. And we're not like that. And maybe that's why it's sometimes hard to grasp it. We, we don't have that, that sight of seeing beginning to end. And we, we don't have the ability to love on that level. But God is not you. And he loves you no matter what. For me at times in life, it's been a situation where sometimes I feel like I've made too much mistakes. I feel like I've messed up too much, Pastor. I feel like I knew the right thing to do and yet I still chose the wrong thing. And if you do that enough in life to a, a person where you make mistakes, they'll, they'll cut you. <laughs> sometimes literally cut you, but hopefully not. But sometimes it's hard for me to believe that, God, you would love me despite every mistake, every flaw, to the point where I don't think I deserve the answer to prayer, where I don't feel like I deserve to be taken out of my mess or taken out of that situation. But I'm here to tell that person tonight, no, he still loves you. You're not too far. You haven't messed up. You haven't done enough wrong or bad for God not to still wrap his arms around you. He's a good God, amen. And so as I come to a close, and you can all stand, 
It's easy when life is on the mountaintop to believe and to praise and to worship. But what we have to understand is that God wants so much more for you. The God who loves you wants so much more for you. No different from the story in 2 Kings. He wanted much more than to give them water. He wanted to bring them victory. But they had to make themselves available. No different from the five loaves and two fishes. Could God have still done the miracle with something else? I believe it 100%. But that young lad had to make himself available. The people that were hungry, they had to be available and be there to be a part of that miracle. And so the same thing is true here. When you're on your mountaintop and it's easy God doesn't want you just to stay at that mountaintop. God has other mountains for you to climb. But it requires you, how do you get from one mountain to the next mountain? It's probably another valley. And so for those that are here today and you're on the mountaintop and you come to this altar, you might find it a little bit easier to to know who loves you today. But wherever you are, whether you're on the mountaintop or if you're in the valley or if you're in the middle of climbing the mountain, I'm here to tell you, he loves you. He's here for you. So as we come to this altar, let's thank God for his love. Let's remind ourselves of how wonderful his love is that will reach for you, that will save you that will deliver you, the love that will heal you. God still loves you.